Hello, this is Deb from Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. Today we're speaking to Scott from Ask an Alien Project. Questions for of me. I can't say it right, Scott. <laughs> you're going to have to say that for me. But Scott is a Canadian content creator working with his family to ask the big questions about alien society, life forms, disclosure, and communication. He and his family are developing a database of questions that they would ask an alien. Ask an alien videos are available both in English and in French. And if UFO had um, uh, the UFO community had YouTube Emmys, I would probably give one to Scott for his narration skills. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You're my favorite narrator on YouTube. Oh, you. <laughs> I wish you could read us UFO stories, Scott. <laughs> Well, it's funny. You know, we are thinking of a couple of different options for the project, a couple of different things. But uh, yeah, the, the Ask an Alien project, Question Point of Me in French, uh, we look, wanted to do a sort of a bilingual kind of thing because our, our country's English and French and uh, had a lot of experience with the different languages. And it occurred to me that French, there, there's quite a, a UFO community in both France and Quebec, the French part of Canada. So we wanted to produce content in both languages as best we can. Now, I'm not, I don't consider myself fluently bilingual, I'm just very comfortable in French. And uh, I've reached out to some of the, the more um, influential French UFO people and said, look, what do you think? You know, I mean, is this good enough to actually put up? And some of them say, you know what, your accent's strong, but we can understand what you're saying. And thanks for doing the, the work. So I'll, I'll take that as a win. Okay, that's excellent. Obviously, yeah. we do have a lot of people out in the community from other countries. Yeah. It's pretty clear that this is a global issue, of course, for anyone paying attention. I have yet to find a country that doesn't have some sort of UFO group. Um, however, I will be um, honest in saying that I haven't finished looking. Um, it's quite a big task to go through every country. So um, I get kind of stalled out, like, you know, and then some countries are just so much material because it's like they're English speaking countries. So the material pops up sooner. Like one of those countries is Canada. And recently there was some talk about Canada and UFOs. Someone came forward. Um, I think I have his name written down here so I don't say it wrong. Um, he was recently on a few podcasts talking about Canada and UFOs. Um, he's a politician. Um, let me find his name. You might know who I'm talking about. Ah, Larry McGuire. Larry McGuire. I've, I've heard the name. I think our sort of most prominent UFO person in Canada is Chris Rutowski out of uh, mm -hmm. Winnipeg. He's been on a lot of our newscast and whatnot. And Larry McGuire, um, there's another fellow, I think is Chris. Uh, there's a few people that have been involved in looking at the Canadian, our, our air transport agency, basically our version of the FAA, the US, it's uh, NAV Canada, and tracking all the reports from mm -hmm. pilots and what have you. But uh, we've had some more recent credible reports from uh, not just pilots, but also from law enforcement. There's been a few sightings of uh, bright objects in the sky here in British Columbia on the west coast of Canada, just north of Washington State. Um, both reports were late at night, both in the vicinity of central Vancouver Island, and both of them reported by RCMP officers. So that's our, our federal police force. So, you know, we've got pilots reporting, both civilian and military. We've got uh, law enforcement reporting. And that's what I like. I like to see reports from, you know, credible backgrounds and preferably with some dash cam video or radar signature to back it up. But it's nice to see they're being taken a little more seriously. So right. I think that it's excellent that you guys all have that <clears throat> publicly done. You know, even our civilian reporting actually kind of gets put under lock and key with MUFON, you know, so <laughs> that you guys are just like publicly talking about your reports is great. Well, I do yeah. know that um, previously, um, Daniel Otis, who writes for several um, yeah. Canadian um newspapers and online things has said that it's not always the case that these reports are you know paid attention to so it sounds like things have shifted a little i think so i think there's definitely we, we've seen the the shift in the culture 
a lot of a lot of our viewpoints and things come from the United States. We're uh, we're so close to to the border and we're so influenced by what happens down there. And so I think, especially with the U.S. Navy revealing those videos and you know the, the hearings and seeing Bill Nelson from NASA starting to say, "Look, we have to take this seriously," it's helped uh, up here for sure. It's uh, just starting. I understand one of our, our Minister of Public Safety or Minister of National Defense, possibly both, has been briefed on UFO and UAPs. So that's uh, good to see. Yeah, I saw something about, you know, they obviously have the information. Um, you know, other countries are getting the information and not even looking at it, but they were briefed on it in your country. Um, and of course, um, there's the plan that we're going to work um, with our five eyes, you know, allies and communicate things a little bit more clearly. Um, obviously, Canada would be a great choice because we're right next to each other, right? To really make sure we're on the same page as much as possible. Um, so I really hope that people who are following this are paying attention to what's going on with our allies and and some of our um extra eyes that are not per the five that are actually our allies too like japan mm -hmm. actually is kind of one of those eyes nail um there's a lot it's a, an evolution so to speak of information it is but you know it's it's that plus when you think about it <laughs> it always comes back to the national security issue because it's just as much a national security issue for us as it is for you. Because if you look at it between Alaska and the 49th parallel is all of Canada, right? So a lot of commercial flights flying from the U.S. to go to Europe or to Asia go over our airspace. We have a lot of international flights that cross over and we've got a huge land mass. There's a you know wide area. So when there are sightings, we, we have to rely on uh, pilots reporting them and they need to know that they can re report to the jurisdiction of you know um, that they're flying over such as Canada so it's uh it's definitely good to keep an eye on the skies yeah That's I got a, a quote about that um from one of Daniel Otis's articles it was um the Canadian armed forces do not typically investigate sightings of unexplained phenomena outside the context of investigating potential threats or distress. And I think, you know, a lot of people are afraid of the threat narrative, but it is getting people to pay more attention right now than ever, especially because not reporting a foreign object flying through our skies could be um preventing us from reporting something a little more serious you betcha you <laughs> like, betcha scary to think that they weren't reporting because they were afraid of being laughed at things like missiles or enemy drones and things like that that could have been going by too you know yeah. i took a close look at one of the uh, reporting forms i believe it's called civars or something I, I it could be wrong on exactly that but it's got a whole big checklist of different things that a pilot is supposed to report if it's an unusual occurrence and in addition to the lights in the skies or anything like that they're supposed to look for you know unlawful fishing activity or groups of people landing in a remote area groups of people setting up in a uh, some sort of a base on a remote arctic island somewhere you know if the russians or whoever wants to poke around and to test our defenses, the pilots, if they see this, are supposed to report it. Because you got to figure, and we're talking thousands and thousands of kilometers of unguarded, undefended coastline. There's all sorts of places. So, I mean, we we have a governmental focus on, on asking the pilots to be on alert for unusual things. And I would hope that unusual aeronautical phenomenon would be the top of their list. I know they had some weird names for them when people would ask NATO um, it would be something like unidentified, uh, I don't know, air maneuvers or something like that. You know, like people are so sneaky about how they get like, oh, you asked for the wrong thing. But if you'd asked for this air movements, I think that was that, right? Yeah. It was un unidentified air movements was NATO, I believe. Um, but yeah, there's so many, they're so sneaky of like, they're obviously watching because, you know, it's safety. But they were being sneaky about what they called them, so no one really knew. Crazy. Right. So and that that's what I found out when I spoke to Aunt Lavoc. Same thing. You know, they, they just have different names to hide what's going on. 
but still i would say that it's unique that canada is just very open when they do have those reports generally um we like i said end up putting them under lock and key it's sort of sad you know there's probably a bajillion reports that no one's ever going to hear about yeah there there probably are probably are but uh well one hopes as more and more you know as the phenomenon happens more and more often and we're more aware of its presence I, i'm hoping to see more footage that isn't captured by some sort of a, a military source but perhaps captured by a media source um in broad daylight and a good example of this would be the queen's 70th jubilee in london england a week or two ago now that was a fascinating incident uh, for right. your listeners if they're not familiar this is where they're doing it was the queen's 70th uh, anniversary of being on the throne and there's 200,000 people lined up in front of Buckingham Palace, and there's all the royals. Or, I'm sorry, was it in front of the Tower of London or Buckingham? Well, it's central London. They're all gathered in central London, England. And they're doing flybys with um, Royal Air Force uh, craft. And um, at one point, the uh, their performance jet team goes by. There's nine jets, and they're trailing colored red, white, and blue smoke and whatnot. And it's all looking very nice. And just as soon as the jets go by, a little white dot crosses behind their flight path. I mean, you're talking within 100 or 200 feet of the jets. And this was caught by Sky News, CBS News, and certainly by hundreds of people on their cell phone underneath this thing. And it's broad daylight, and no one can tell what this is. There's, you know, and news reports were taking it reasonably seriously. And, uh, you know, I thought, this is kind of a good example, but it occurred to me, talk about an air safety hazard. I mean, here we are all wanting to you know, meet the extraterrestrial society, but if this is a drone, if it's a strange weather phenomenon or something, if it's something else, this is a big problem. It just about sliced nine Royal Air Force jets in half as it went by, this little ball of light, right? Um, unaffected by the turbulence of this thing. You know, if it was a balloon, it would have been blown backwards. It was no such effect. It just carried on, you know? Um, and then yeah. the other thought that crossed my mind was this. Just about anyone observing this from the air would see a large number of these humans gathered for some sort of an event. And some important human is standing high up on a platform waving to the crowd and all the crowds waving back at them. And there's all this aeronautical activity and military activity. It would stand to reason that if we saw that activity on an exoplanet, we could deduce that the person standing there was very important and mm -hmm. all the people watching wanted to see this important person. Was this some kind of an attempt at contact? I don't know. I feel In like... The, uh, hard to say. I feel like lately hearing how often this is happening uh, over our airships, I'm not not our airships, I'm sorry, our battleships, <laughs> um, how often this is happening, it indicates to me that there is some kind of desire to have attention paid. Mm -hmm. um, like, I, if you don't want attention, you're not going to be sitting in front of a, a nuclear-powered naval ship. You're just not. You're going to be in the water. You're going to avoid people. You know, and, and they're, if they have the ability to cloak, they're not going to be visible. They're just, but they are, they're showing themselves. Some people want to, um, that gets mentioned are just like, oh, they don't care. They just don't care. But I feel like they might, if they're right in front of us, basically almost waving their hands, you know, it's like, what's going on? They're just like right there, swarming ships. Yeah. Something's I mean, going on. The other, uh, I do have a small doggo over here that is desperate to be let in the room here. Bear with me just a second. Let me, uh. Let me just stop and let her in here. Hold it. Bear me a second here. Dogs are amazing. I'm okay. We're probably going to hear some dog noises. And if that happens, we may hear my dog noises. Okay. I think doggy crisis averted she heard me talking and was most displeased that i wasn't uh, hanging out with her so 
know. Yeah, they get a little. Well, you know that could be <laughs> that could be a good parallel for what's going on. Most displeased that we're not talking to them, you know. And that's why your project's actually really interesting because you bring up, you know, all these things we would want to ask, and it's very likely that even though a lot of people are calling us primitive, that another civilization would want to ask us those questions too. They're curious. They'd be curious and. Over and over again, experiencers talk about um, interacting with entities, and they say these entities are basically experimenting and exploring. They want to know about us. You know, it does seem to fit a, a pattern of exploration, of science focus, of curiosity, of yes. um, certainly... Um, certainly a grasp of technology it, it occurred to us to have the technology involved to get here in the first place you'd have to have a very science focused civilization right you'd mm -hmm. have to have that that science curiosity to be able to even do this in the first place right mm -hmm. so it stands to reason that that would continue once they get here so yeah i do wonder though i wonder about a lot of things that people say you know doing the um the website that i do i i start seeing where there's a lot more information you know mm -hmm. um there's a lot more information when um i'm looking at the future human slash man-made hypothesis mm -hmm. and there's a lot more information when i'm looking at um you know the some of the others like i feel like the 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 biggest one though is the the cryptid the ultra terrestrial the possibility that they're here that they've been here this whole time they've been here and, all yeah and a lot of people talk about that they're like using portals and stuff but we don't know where those lead to they could just lead right into the water we don't know that you know, and a lot of people are talking about interdimensional and I'm like, that doesn't rule that out either. They, you know, like they could just might know how to pop into another place for a little while to hide. You know, I just feel like um, of all of them, ultra terrestrial seems to get the most information. You know, if you were going to hide from humans or you were going to not be visible to humans um, for quite a long time. I could think of, you know, few better places than in the depths of the ocean. I mean, I was thinking about just how truly vast our oceans are when they're talking about uh, bringing down the International Space Station in a few years when it's um, past its service life and they're intentionally going to crash it into this desolate part of the uh, southeastern Pacific Ocean. And I took a look at, at that and, you know, it is true. There is just no landmass. There's nothing in a triangle between Chile, Antarctica and southern New Zealand. Right? Um, so, I mean, you're talking thousands and thousands of kilometers in which someone could easily hide. We would never know about it. Uh, and when you look at some of the video, I, I like seeing video evidence captured from a uh, a fairly reputable source, such as the Customs and Border Patrol flight capture from the um, the object that was flying over Puerto Rico, uh, flying over the little airport there, and then it goes into the water and comes out as two objects, as well as you know the famous one from um, uh, the, caught by the U.S. Navy there, uh, splashdown, splashdown, Mark Maring and Rain. That was you know, Omaha. The yes, Omaha. Yeah, Omaha. Exactly. So there's there's certainly some evidence of this thing going into the water with apparently no difficulty. Mm -hmm. and I couldn't help but notice this uh, image from the um, what was the Miami Air Show a week or so ago, of Miami, Florida, where they have this B-52 flying along, and suddenly this white dot of light comes shooting out of the water and straight up into the atmosphere. It's just crazy. So there's certainly this affinity with the water. We've, we've seen evidence of there's something about it. There's also some theories that they use the water to help with travel. Um, I've also heard a lot of stories about the water being taken. Um, so where it's taken to is a, you know, wow. 
question mark maybe another planet where they need to figure out how to have more water or something who knows question mark right but the water is being taken um you hear these stories where a, a uap is over like a lake or something and suddenly the lake is dried up and things like that and and the people who have the water taken are not thrilled about it actually they're pretty upset the water gets taken but um there's definitely an interest in water that goes beyond even just hiding in it yeah that's for sure and you know when you when you think about it one of the things we've done some work on at the ask an alien project is we've been looking at places in our solar system that could harbor forms of life and we you know i always sort of grew up thinking that Earth was the only place in the solar system that had water. Heck, maybe it's the only place in the universe that's got it. But we find, well, there's 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 even water in you know the dust of the moon. There's water at the polar ice caps of Mars, and there's tons of water in the moons around Jupiter and Saturn, like Europa and Enceladus. There's oceans that are kilometers deep. So water is not. You don't have to come to Earth just for for water. Although I suppose it's pretty easy to access. It's liquid at you know surface temperature most of the time. Um, but we're not the only place. So why is our water so much more interesting than? I don't others? know. I think it could like it could just be just like stopping at the gas station. It's not that yeah. interesting, you know. But <laughs> but I, I actually did just look at a, a a video by a scientist who studies exoplanets, mm. and he's arguing that almost every planet has the requirements for life. Um, which are basically uh, water, an energy source. And I think the third one is just some kind of uh, radiation protection, essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that could be a magnetic field like our planet has or, you know, something similar. Um, And of course, you know, if if the civilization is underground, they've created their own radiation protection, right? So I think... NASA is very interested in this still. Um, they're looking for this still on Mars. Um, they're looking for evidence that that happened before. They haven't given that up, and they spent billions of dollars to do that exploration. Well, that's just it. We're spending just a shocking amount of money to go to different places and, and find this out. And I, I think that lends it well with that lends well to the new focus of nasa that yes we are taking uaps and ufos more seriously because i mean we've we've been we've been having the project the seti the search for extraterrestrial extraterrestrial intelligence we've had that since the 1970s we've been you know sending probes to we sent probes to mars to venus all to the moon to various rocks and asteroids in the belt we've been looking for this but we've never really kind of officially said we're looking for aliens we you know we're looking for alien life we're looking for signs of life and so now to see somebody like bill nelson of nasa come out and say first of all we're taking this seriously and second of all who are we to say we're the only uh, intelligent civilization you know it's kind of arrogant of us to say so and so we have to be open to the possibility. I'm like, bravo, bravo, well done. That's just what I wanted to hear. Yeah, and I do feel like they did say, you know, that's why we're on Mars. When when they had that conversation recently in their um, tele-convention, I guess, I don't know, it's hard to say, what what was that? Like, why wasn't that filmed? Why, I guess it was a, a conference, it was a teleconference. Um, but, you know, it sounded like to me something that should have been filmed maybe should have had like slides and stuff i wonder why it was that they only gave the audio to us but yeah it, it they did basically say that's why we're on mars that's why we made that billion dollar helicopter we, we support the idea <laughs> that life is out there um it's true and and the thing that gets me oh i just don't understand we understand that we're doing this we're looking at maybe even inhabiting places like Mars, even had talks about the moon. And we're literally living in space right now on the International um, Space Station. But no one's willing to think that any other civilization out there would want to do the same thing. Like, well, I don't understand. Like, I'm not going to say no one. Obviously, people in our community believe this. Mm-hmm. But why or is there so much ego about humans that they can't accept we're doing it. Someone else could do it. <laughs> like, exactly. Like, 
I, I guess I don't know. I don't understand the perspective that you see that there's a trillion stars and planets, but you're the only one like that. I don't I don't understand that. And then, you know, we look at the idea of not only could we not possibly be the only one, but is it is it a natural evolution of species that once you receive, you know, once you achieve a certain level of intelligence and um, science complexity that you do actually go to other planets what if that's what turns out to be the natural way of things what if that's what unfolds on tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of other planets once their species is a certain level of intelligence they start going to the stars you know I and mean, you can make the argument we've we've migrated all over this planet in our um you know the australian aborigines have been on the continent of australia for 70 thousand years that you know mm -hmm. they moved away from africa um you know seventy thousand years ago and set up camp in in what is currently australia and have been there ever since you know you, you're talking thousands of thousands of kilometers distance is, is it just a natural extension of that that we take to the stars right and and then that would give us a common thread right with all Imagine. the civilizations that we could bond over that that desire to look elsewhere and try to understand the universe that we're in exactly. but you know sometimes when i think about that i think about the movie men in black and how there was a whole galaxy inside that that a uh, dog's yes collar. <laughs> i've thought of that as well <laughs> and i'm like are we just one of those little bobbles and we're all desperately trying to find out that we're in this little bobble together and then and then we find out there's a whole lot outside of that <laughs> you know? i know it's i mean this is one of the things we were talking about in our latest episode where we're talking about the different forms of life the different life forms we'd like to see and uh something that we, we came up with um here myself and the, my son as uh, the creative consultants for the project mm -hmm. uh we came up with a, a ranking system from sort of just you know, what would be good enough to what would be absolutely mind-blowing in terms of alien civilization and species starting from you know bacteria and plankton and small creatures and sort of building up to you know near peer civilizations to advanced and then there's bigger than advanced the kind mm -hmm. of civilizations that you know could engineer something like the big bang or engineer something like you know creating universes things that we just so far beyond our ability to comprehend but you know we, but we, we, we try it we try it we would replicate it if we could you for sure a hundred percent like all of these oh. things we are trying to create life in our ai we've bred animals and messed with their dna we're messing with human DNA. We're trying to create organs. All of these things are things we do, which of course lends to that future human hypothesis again. Exactly. And I think that can't be ruled out. And, you know, I watched the interview yesterday. Uh, I believe it was on Good Morning Britain, uh, where they had uh, a British astronaut talking to the news crew. And they're talking about this and they're kind of dumbfounded, but the astronaut the fellow is, uh, I can't remember his name for the life of me, but um, he was saying, look, no, it, it's it's very possible. And here's why. And they started really explaining that, you know, no, we have to consider one of the options is time travel, is, is future humans. And they're kind of, you know, taken aback, but, you know, how can we rule that out? And uh, of course, if, if any country should be happy with the idea of time travel, it's England, the home of Doctor Who, right? They should, you know, everybody in England has at some point been a five-year-old hiding behind their, the couch in, their, in the living room there as the eerie music of Doctor Who comes on TV. Um, for sure, they'd be, should it, of anyone be familiar with the concept of time travel? Just also, because, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, I also keep hearing about these UAPs that are bigger on the inside. And I'm like, that's the TARDIS. <laughs> exactly you know and, and what you know a show that we've recently got quite addicted to um of all things is uh, the expanse on amazon prime from sort of you know just a couple hundred years in the future but taking a really good look at okay what would a slightly future human look like just the next 
couple hundred years. You know, when we are a spacefaring civilization, we haven't quite got a faster than light drive yet, but we're working on it. And so all the different concepts of gravity torture, uh, you, you don't want to have internal bleeding in zero G, uh, Martian soldiers always train in one G in case they have to fight Earth soldiers, but just all the practical kind of things about uh, people growing up in the belt um, in a low G environment. So they're naturally taller and the bones are more brittle. I mean, just on and on and on. All these kind of things right. that you could see easily being plausible in a, in a near future human scenario. We don't know where we'd be in a distant future human scenario. I just had a really sad thought too. Mm. Say you're at the group that decides, you know what, we'll go travel out into space. We'll be the brave group that goes out and does that. And then they try to come back and the way time works, they come back and it's the wrong, wrong century. Uh, and they're trapped looking at us going, we're just stuck with these primitive humans. We don't know what to do. <laughs> like we're just stuck here. Um, I, I've been trying to wrap my brain around some of the uh, the time and space stuff to really understand that paradox and how you know, time seems, the closer you go to the speed of light, your time seems more normal, but the time around you changes. And, oh, it's just amazing stuff. But really trying to understand time and space is more of a fluid concept. Well, the other thing that gets me is the closer we get to identifying what's going on, to really studying it, to being really serious about it, the closer our own technology is getting. Um, we're rapidly approaching this ourselves. Um, a lot of people would argue that's not true because of the physics is outside of our knowledge of physics currently. But if it's sort of like it's a paradox too. What if we figure out what UAPs are doing? Then we make UAPs and then we go back, you know, and then we, we have UAPs flying around and we're like, oh, that's amazing. And then it keeps going in a circle. Right. So it's confusing um, to think about the future human hypothesis. But again, can't rule it out. Exactly. Well, and we've got all sorts of future development we're working on now. We've got, our, you know, the first proto fusion generator. Um, you know, that's at least in the laboratory sense been proven as a proof of concept that it could work. Um, and we even just the other day, we're hearing some talk that uh, someone at Google thought that perhaps some of Google's system, their AI had become sentient. Now, of course, we don't have any follow up on that. But I was wondering when we'd actually hear that, you know, when we, would someone actually come up and say some deep blue computer that IBM built has actually gained consciousness you know we don't have we don't have any independent confirmation of this but it occurs to me you know we might not be that far off and it might happen by accident well we've been trying to teach ai to feel like not necessarily emotionally but um touch you know we've been mm -hmm. trying to get them to learn there's mm -hmm. people working actively on teaching a robot to learn language like they would teach a child um, you know, so we're we're trying to make yeah. these AI as human as possible. I mean, of course, anyone who's watched Terminator knows that doesn't always go well. But yeah, it doesn't always work out for the best, does it? <laughs> yeah, that's an, another uh, show that I watched was I think it was called just humans or something like that. It was uh, AI that develops consciousness because it's basically downloaded into some of them. Um, like like the creator decides some of them have the right to have that free will and they have to pretend that they don't have it so they don't get destroyed and things just don't go very well for them but yeah there's there's a lot of possibilities um it's it's interesting to see more and more people broaching these subjects though and being more open-minded about reality of these things because it used to just all be science fiction but now scientists are getting kind of serious about some of these things. And and I'm excited because I just saw personal flying saucers in the work. Oh yeah. They're making they're making personal flying saucers. You can basically stand <laughs> in them and it's the shape of a flying saucer and it's it's your own little personal personal flying machine. Wow. That'd be great. That'd cut your commute time uh, pretty down, you know, down pretty far. <laughs> I know. I have a feeling we are not very good drivers already, but putting us in the air to drive these might end up even worse. 
So yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? I'm sure we'll see drone delivery of many, many things in the near future. I think that's probably the first right. step. And the question is, is when do, you know, when is it going to deliver the kids from, from school to the, uh, you know, ballet practice afterwards or something, or pick somebody up at football and then, then drone them home or something. I mean, who knows how long it's going to be before we actually have that kind of thing, but I'm pretty sure we're going to see we're going to see drone delivery as a standard. The Amazon driver type concept might be slightly endangered as technology improves. Right. And actually, I really think Avi might be right. If we're going to send something out into space, we would probably send AI. And we probably realistically wouldn't send one that looks like a robot. We would probably send a craft that's AI and therefore conscious and able to communicate with us, which, you know, kind of runs parallel with what people are saying about the craft they're seeing now, that the craft themselves are intelligent and mm -hmm. it goes beyond any occupants. Well, um, you know, when you talk about, I think Michu Keiko, uh, if I've said that right, was on a podcast recently and talking about mm -hmm. a change, uh, you know, a sea change in the attitude towards UFOs and UAPs. And was talking about this very point. I mean, you know, the G-forces involved in some of these movements have been calculated upwards of 30 Gs, maybe more. And there's nothing, no human, animal, nothing on Earth could survive that kind of sudden G-force without being, well... It would ruin your whole day. Um, so the thought has crossed our minds. What if the thing is solid or otherwise it's it's a probe itself and it's all one unit. It's all together. Who knows? Yeah. Recently, I spoke to um, Dr. Wilbur Allen, who is studying some of these objects, and he's saying some of them are probably living organisms. Um, so that's another factor. I think that it's unfortunate that people have kind of missed the boat on realizing there might be a living creature that we don't fully understand that we are seeing that we have not yet identified, named, whatever. Um, and it's possibly able to survive space somehow. Um, but, you know, it seems outlandish when you think about it because there's, you know, not some of the requirements we have, but we don't write the whole rules, like the whole rule book for the universe. We're human. <laughs> we don't get to write the universe's rules. Exactly. And, you know, I don't think that hypothesis can be ruled out when you consider some of the various different uh, strange creatures we have on Earth. I mean, first of all, we have all sorts of creatures that can fly through the air right off the bat. We know this all day long. We also have creatures that can use you know, a form of uh, sonar, such as bats. We have creatures with bioluminescence, you know, such as anglerfish and other deep sea creatures. We've got creatures that can change their skin's color, you know, like a chameleon. We've got creatures that have adapted to their environment in unique and creative ways. And so who are we to say that these things didn't adapt to their environment and, you know, have a, a natural ability for anti-gravity? in some manner i mean it's it right. seems crazy you know on the surface but if we stop and think i mean can we really rule this out i'm not so sure i don't i don't have that ego i don't think we can and there's just so many other possibilities that you know there's apparently creatures on our planet that breathe methane you know there's creatures probably deep in the planet that we haven't <laughs> discovered we haven't even discovered all of the creatures on our planet. We still find new species. Mm -hmm. We still and, do. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> I was just having a discussion with someone recently, and I, I'm, I'm probably going to be talking to them on Thursday because they had so much to offer on this subject and a, a lot of other subjects, but um, about the possibility that Bigfoot may not be some cryptid creature but may just be another hominid that we've overlooked somehow and this idea of bigfoot is pervasive throughout the whole world like people are reporting yeti and bigfoot and sasquatch and they have other names all over the world um and that includes oh yeah yaoi that was why it came up i was asking about the yaoi because indigenous australians have the name Yowie for Bigfoot, you know, so there, you know, we, 
we were there were so many versions that could could have ended up being homo homo sapien you know mm-hmm. and so many hominids so many different ones that we don't even uh fully understand i think we've only just recently discovered the donovans before we only really knew about neanderthals so i just the we have to throw the ego out and just be open to learning something Absolutely. I heard the, those comments on the interview with Grant Levac there. That was really quite interesting. And like I say, those, the Aborigines there, I mean, they've been on that continent for 70,000 years and uh, they know about it. If there's something else there for sure, you know, they'd be the ones to ask. You know what someone said to me recently about that though? They said that it's possible that the um, indigenous Australians may actually be older than that they may have actually gone to africa and then come back wow right so um (laughs) we have a lot more to figure out Mm -hmm. we don't know those things but i will say that i really dip into uh, anthropology once in a while and i Mm -hmm. find out things like for instance israel found potential evidence of a civilization that was 150,000 years ago um you know, and then you hear about all these other civilizations, which were significantly more advanced than people realize. Um, even um, indigenous um, Australians had their own astronomy system. You know, and they're trying to they're trying to preserve that knowledge and like combine it with modern technology and stuff. But um, you know, there there was advancements. And we can't just, you know, rate those things off either. Exactly. exactly. We, we have so much to figure out. And we don't we haven't even figured out. We just we just recently mapped our own DNA. Like we didn't even know what our own DNA was about. That was ten or fifteen years ago or something. It wasn't that long. It was a nanosecond in, in the history of yeah, like, right. We have so much and like the people are just still trying to figure out what's going on with the brain they no longer say um, apparently that we have just junk dna i mean not junk dna i mean they, they they say there's more to the brain than just that extra matter there's you know it's not just junk mm-hmm. but they're still figuring that out fair enough fair enough <clears throat> oh i think i lost your audio there my dog's pacing go. around. <laughs> going, I don't know if you can hear. I was trying to mute him. I heard I heard a little something. Our, our dog over there, she's uh, she's sleeping on the bed there. She's had a, a big walk and she's all over. Okay. Well, um, I want to peek and see. Um, I had some other questions for you. <laughs> the dog's totally <laughs> sidetracked me. Um, <clears throat> oh, yeah big one the the hearings do you think that canada is going to get any hearings ever or are they just relying on what the u.s and brazil are doing or do you think canada has has the desire to do that even i mean our culture although slightly different from that of the united states in various ways we are heavily influenced by american culture I mean, our TV channels here, I mean, we've, in addition to our regular Canadian TV channels, you know, we got KOM TV4 out of Seattle and Cairo TV channel, you know, and King TV. I mean, I can, I can rattle off the Seattle station names by memory. and It's not even my own country. Um, you know, we all watch American TV with the news and CNN, I've been, you know, watching CNN for different things. So we, we do get a lot of the influence. And so that's where a lot of this, uh, the, especially since the release of the, the gimbal, the go fast, the Tic Tac UFO videos, that, that has affected our culture as well. I think sort of what's more problematic is we haven't really had a, a really solid wow kind of incident here. You know, uh, we've had, I was talking about these reports from Canadian police officers and pilots, but there's nothing that's really kind of like broken into the news or, you know, the front page equivalent of our front page equivalent of the New York Times would be like the Globe and Mail or the National Post. We haven't really had a big whiz bang moment for, for UFOs to galvanize public opinion. And we've been so focused on other issues, you know, the, the war in Ukraine and 
inflation and various things. I don't know that we're going to get the, the hearings, but I think what will likely happen is our public opinion, um, pardon me for the a little short of breath here, the, uh, the, the, the long COVID is getting better and I'm in a lot of physio to get better post COVID, but uh, the breathing still sometimes gets the best of me. So pardon me if I'm very sorry about this. The, the mic. You sound better than last time though. I might yes. have to just, just keep bringing you on just to check on you and make sure <laughs> <Perfect>. you're healing. <laughs> Perfect. But uh, like I said, we, you know, we often follow a little bit behind, you know, major developments in the U S. So I, I think as there's more congressional hearings in the States, and especially with bipartisan support, I think that lends heavier credibility to it. If it was one side or the other arguing about it, you couldn't see it as you know a partisan issue. But when you've got both, you've got people who are otherwise politically mortal enemies working jointly on this issue, I think right. it lends more weight. And I've been talking to people, I, I was at, you know, well, <laughs> I've been in physiotherapy there, my full-time job, and we were there last week and I was talking about the uh, the incident uh, over London, England, with some of the other physiotherapists and other people. Oh, yeah, I heard about that too. Oh, yeah, you mean the UAPs, like the Tic Tac UFO and the Go Fast? I mean, so it's starting to enter the, the general community. I know there was a big one, though. There was a big one. I feel like I saw it. They even did a podcast on it in the archives. We, we um, have had a few, and I, and I certainly don't mean to dismiss the the incidents we have had, nor the right. diligent work of people like you know Chris Rutowski and whatnot. But what I'm getting at is we haven't quite had. I, I don't think we've had them of sort of the magnitude that you have in the U.S. Mm. How's that, right? right. Um, you know, the, the whole NITS incident, the you know, radar tracking, and, you know, we're engaged, we're engaged. I mean, just all the, like, real close in. It's lots of these reports and lots of these, you know, things people have heard about and some sightings mm -hmm. in different places, but... You need a Roswell. Of, we need a kind of a Roswell. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. You know? Okay, but so I wanted to just skim over some things um, that are significant for... Um, those who are listening and interested in Canada. Um, mm -hmm. One thing that is especially interesting is the work done by Wilbur Smith, Project Magnet. Um, he was huge um, for Canada for investigating. And he made some claims that just kind of really surprised people. Um, he, he has memos and documents out there if anyone wants to go take a look at that. Um, but one thing I think he said that was really significant was that I believe he's the one who said this this issue of UAPs was bigger than the atomic bomb. So he kind of highlighted how essential and important this was. Uh, luckily, Canada has provided a great deal of information. Um, also, their universities have a great deal more. I'm very frustrated about the fact that I cannot just easily go to Canada <laughs> because there is a university that pops up every time I'm trying to find FOIAs that are out there on the Internet. Um, I believe, I want to say it's Ontario. Um off the top of my head, I can't think of it at the moment, um, but it's very frustrating. I've, I've asked other people to go look at these universities that I can't reach. Um, Manitoba, I know, has been working on digital toll. What oh, was that? Yeah, I think the, um, the University of Winnipeg in, in Manitoba there is, is definitely an important research facility for Canadian UFO studies. I think that's where Chris Rutowski has done a lot of his work is in and around that university. And um, they're probably the, the leader on this. I think the other one you're talking might be the University of Western Ontario, but I'd have to double check. Uh, but, you know, it, it's good to see this kind of level of, you know, serious research, but I mean, I, I want front page discussion on this is what I'm looking for. Right, not hard to find it. I just put in blue fly FOIA and there it is, University of Ottawa. There That's the one that for whatever reason, they have just so many FOIAs that we can't see just sitting there. And I'm like, please, someone go to Ottawa. 
<laughs> and get these and scan them for us because do you know how many blue fly foils I've seen? Zero. No kidding. And oh. for those who know anything about blue fly, um, it's supposedly like moon dust. It was a project blue fly involved going to basically exploit technology from foreign adversaries but foreign adversaries could potentially just be anything that fell from space um, in the case of moon dust or any craft that was discovered in the case of blue fly so it'd be super cool if someone was in ottawa and finally released some of those foyers like why is no one releasing them i don't get it but Oh, well, I we've recently started to connect with a lot more Canadian UFO enthusiasts. It, it might seem counterintuitive, but the most people I've been talking to have been in the United States, Australia, France, and England. Uh, just seem to be the, the, the bigger communities for these things. Right. But recently we've joined up with MUFON Quebec, um, just joined with the uh, Edmonton uh, UFO uh, Facebook group yesterday, and looking to make more connections with Canadian UFO researchers. So like I say, with this huge body of airspace, and we've got all these reports and all those NAV Canada things, and, and it would be good to have more people with their finger on the pulse on the issue here. Um, you know, we, we've got a lot of territory, territory to cover, and I think it'd be good to have more connections. So if uh, there's people out there listening involved in the Canadian UFO community and want to get in contact with us, my goodness, if we uh, chat long enough, we might get an idea for another video and uh, would love to put that up. And, and you know what? I'm getting the idea right now. Maybe it's time for a Captain Canuck Canadian uh, UFO video there. We'd have to, have to somehow bring in hockey, maple syrup, and beaver somehow. I don't know how I'd fit that in, but I figured I, it out. I want, I want to hear about Canada. I know the um, DJ for Space Out Radio is Canadian. Obviously, he's, he's um, very proud, and he has his flag behind him and occasionally makes jokes about the language. I'm not going to try <laughs> to do it. <laughs> I won't sound great. But, <laughs> but uh, you and know, in the boot, boot, yeah. <laughs> yes, I can't do it. I can't. I'm, I don't. It just doesn't sound right. I'm not good with accents and things like that. It just sounds ridiculous when I do it. But um, yeah, I I enjoy the fact that he's bringing that perspective, and um, I enjoy learning about other cultures and countries and um, just their other approaches. But I do find it frustrating knowing that sometimes you have to go to another country to find your FOIAs. And right now, Canada seems to have some of ours. And it's like they did a whole, like, the, it's not just, crazy. you know, me complaining about this. Other countries have complained too. You know, do you think people in Russia are going to be able to access their UFO information so freely? Not necessarily. They have to come here and read some of it. Um, and it, it's just like everyone did a swap here. You hold these and I'll we'll hold these. I found one in Australia that someone had been looking for forever. You know, it was on a, a website called Sunrise that had like a lot to do with science, but wasn't just for UFOs. Right. And it had one of our FOIAs. <laughs> and I'm like, why is it so tricky? So this is one of the reasons I was motivated to make my website because things shouldn't be this hard to find. They, they should, and, and you know, and we we love the you know the connector website. It's just so many different resources and and ideas are placed to go. If you're wondering, well, you know, if we're wondering what a different aspect of the phenomenon, you know, and I bet I bet Deb's got it on the connector. Right. So it's, it's definitely a a useful. It's amazing how many things I end up adding to. Like, uh, you know, as I've complained a few times, I'm always uh, behind with adding things, but then something comes up that I didn't think to add. And I'm like, why didn't I already add that? <laughs> like, why wasn't that already on there? Like, I should have had that on there all along. But um, <laughs> one thing that's on there that makes me think of you is I still want to bug you about doing a deep dive on written language with mm. um potential extraterrestrials because obviously we have a lot of conversations about hieroglyphs and petroglyphs and even supposed writing on the craft and one time i took a look um at some of the supposed writing or symbols however you want to phrase it on the craft and i noticed two different variations one seemed very geometric and the other seemed very rune-like 
Mm. I didn't see three or four or five variations. I saw two different variations, um, which seemed really interesting to me, especially because one supposedly was future human and the other was supposedly extraterrestrial. And I don't know. I just wonder. I wonder if, if someone did a deep dive on all of the different alleged writings on these crafts, if they would start seeing that, too. Well, I'd be interested to see patterns repeating themselves. If we could see, mm. you know, consistent uh, written symbols and things that we could start piecing together. Kind of like, you know, I'm thinking of the hieroglyphics you'd see in uh, ancient Egypt. I mean, it, you know, when you first take a look at it, it looks like a bunch of birds and snakes and trees. But when you start diving into it, you realize, oh, no, 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 it really tells a story. It's really right. quite detailed. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, kind of come up with a collection of that and and look for for language patterns. Uh, I mean, on this planet, we've had various forms of human using art and, you know, if not written language, then certainly drawn imagery for millennia. I mean, I'm thinking back to cave art type mm -hmm. times and, you know, Neanderthals drawing, you know, uh, woolly mammoths and saber-toothed tigers and whatnot in their, their caves. So, I mean... Right. I, the question would be interesting to see is does this does this extrapolate to other intelligences is that is this a natural thing do they write down or draw or paint uh imagery for a certain purpose and we'd love to find out more about that i'd also like to know yeah if they're artistic and creative because when whenever people call um let's let's just say uh these entities for or non-human intelligence mm -hmm. superior I have to say, well, are they? Do they paint? Can they sing? Do they dance? Um, you know, there's a lot of ways to decide what superior is. And, I, and I've said this so many times. Is, is Musk superior just because he creates spaceships? Elon? No, I don't, I don't know. Can he paint to you? Maybe. It does, is he funny? I don't know. So I just don't, I don't like the term superior. I think they might have better technology. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they could be superior in technology and inferior in culture. Uh, right. You know, it's entirely possible, maybe for whatever reason, they didn't uh, grow up singing. I mean, that's, that's when we were doing our um, summer discussions with Eric Schlimmer there, the UAP therapist, we, you know, mm -hmm. we talked about, you know, what kind of questions would you want to ask an alien if you could sit down and have a conversation with them? And some of his were, you know, um, what brings you joy? What's What's been the, the, the happiest moment of your life? And um, what what is beauty to you? And, and other sorts of things that kind of lend itself into, well, I mean, is art, music, culture, is that part of your uh, civilization or not? Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. We've got some, you know, cultures on earth that are very, very artistic and others perhaps a little less so. Um, so it would be interesting to, interesting to see. Well, and then also, you know, some people even are not really as into music as others, you know, and, and some people rate intelligence also on um, social emotional skills. So if they have no social emotional skills, are they still more intelligent than us? I just think, you know, they, they might even just be driving their cars. Like they might be laughing about us thinking they're super superior. They're like, oh, they think we're superior because of our cars. <laughs> You know? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I, I certainly subscribe to the idea that, uh, you know, it, it, it could be more a problem of our ability to see what's right in front of us. And, you know, yeah. one of the things we've talked about here, with our little family, is this idea that, you know, couldn't really see planets and uh, galaxies and whatnot until Galileo invented, invented the telescope. I mean, you could see with the naked eye, but you couldn't really start to get a good idea of it to the telescope. And likewise, <coughs> we couldn't see bacteria until the development of the microscope, right? And we couldn't, uh, you know, split atoms until the 1940s. And we couldn't uh, map around DNA until, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. So is it the case that we just simply haven't developed the right technology to be able to see what these things are close up in detail right. and understand? You know, I've heard an explanation. If you have, if you've got a, a bunch of, um, you know, cows in the field in Montana, 
and a couple of F-18 fighter jets from the nearby, nearby Air Force Base go flying over them. Well, they know there's some loud thing up in the sky. It seems to move fast, and it's kind of gray, but they have no idea what it's for, what it does, or how it's made. But it's just an F-18 flying along, right? So are we in that kind of a perception detection deficiency where we can't really tell what this is? Um, are we the cows in the field watching right. the jets? Well, I think we're definitely that. And I think we are getting to the point where our technology is allowing us to see things that we were not seeing before. Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Wilbur Allen's cameras uh, focus on the part of the spectrum that we can't see with our eye. And the cameras are able to do that if you get the right kind. Um, they give us more of an ability to see than we have on our own. And there's a lot of people who have said, I think it was... I want to say it's uh, is it Donald Hoffman or something? Yeah, I think it's Hoffman is really working on that perception issue. And, you know, I, as someone who actually has uh, some issues with hearing, um, I do believe that there's definitely a lot of things outside of my range of hearing. And I live a life fully unaware of some of those things because I just can't hear them, right? Yeah. So uh, younger children will tell us that they hear things that we can't hear. Um there's there's a, a lot to take on and understand regarding what is currently outside of our understanding. Absolutely. But I think the uh, we're heading in the right direction. I think we're starting to get the technological know-how is coming along. I think we're getting the political will. We're getting the social will. I think, um, you know, as I say, even up in our country here, we're taking due notice of everything that's happening. Um, I just like to be see a little more front page news, but that's okay. It'll it'll come with time. It'll come with time. Okay. Well, in the meantime, can you please let everybody know where they can find you and your show so that they can learn more about all of the interesting things that you're working on? Sure. Well, we're on uh, YouTube there, the Ask an Alien Project. And on uh, Twitter, we're Alien, so the Ask an Alien Project and Kestian Ponovni. Our Twitter handle is at alien underscore ask. And um, we're also now on Facebook with the Ask an Alien page, um, as well as Discord for Ask an Alien. And what we're working on, we just finished episode eight, the top 10 alien life forms we'd like to see. We have a uh, French language episode to come up because uh, one of the people from MUFON uh, in Paris came up with a fascinating line of questions. I mean, they're really, really detailed, getting, you know, like, how do you feel about your family? It's just really, really good stuff. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to do an episode on that, and then I'll translate it into English um, after. And uh, one other thing that we're, we've considered doing, we're toying with the idea is, uh, well, certainly now we're, we're kind of come up with a Canadian UFO related video. I mean, absolutely. This has got to happen, right? Yes. Um, we're, we've got to do it now. We've got, there's no excuse. I got to do it. But one of the things we're kind of leaning towards is kind of a side project we've been thinking about is we've got so much footage of space and spaceships and things. Um, and we've got, I hear people say they like when I narrate an episode. I mean, just the little birds told me this. And so it's crossed our minds. We might do sort of a galactic meditation video. Oh, you know, that sounds nice. Yeah, so much stress and anxiety in the world. And we have some training in relaxation therapy and um, you know, progressive relaxation, meditation content concepts. So what if we made sort of a kind of a space, you know, an alien kind of themed meditation? Well, I don't know. For fun, maybe, maybe a little more seriously. We'll see. I'm sure some people who do see if I would be all over that. Really? <laughs> yeah, they perfect. would love that. <laughs> perfect, perfect, perfect. Right. So thank you so much for coming today. And also just thank you for your support in general. You're definitely one of the positive forces in the community. You bring so much to the table in addition to your future Emmy award-winning narration voice. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I think, you know, we, we need to all stick together and we've all got the same common goal. We want to know for once and for all, are we alone in the universe or not? We want to know. So let's all work together for it. 
Right. And we have lots and lots of things to solve as we've talked about today. So let's get on it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And take care, everyone who's listening. Thank you for coming and listening today. This is Deb from Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings Podcast Network. You can find me at Study of UAPs on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, um, all and the UFOConnector.com, or you can find me with Calling All Beings on YouTube. Take care. <laughs>